The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. If you'd like to skip the intro, please refer to the timestamp listed in the episode description. Thank you. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is, what's today? December 7th. So we're really uh, getting in the. What? Sorry. Oh, no, no. Go. Because I just thought of something I want to add in. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just maybe just start that bit again because then it will flow better. <laughs> <laughs> or I could leave it in just because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> because someone. Oh, I'll, 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 I'll just keep going and I'll explain. <laughs> okay. It is. December 7th right now, so we're really getting in the mix of the holiday season. So we did have a message from someone and they said, can we please also remember to say the year when we say the date because they were listening and they weren't quite sure of what year it was, like what year we had recorded, not obviously what year they are listening in, but they're like, can you please make sure you add the year in? So December 7th, 2023. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sorry, I assumed everyone listens very prompt as soon as we release because they're all such big fans. (laughs) So I actually meant to tell you about that and I just totally forgot. So I said, yeah, we will try and remember. So we have remembered first time since we got the message, so that's a win. <laughs> <laughs> Ending off 2023 with a bang. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so, yeah, it is 2023 for those who are unsure, listening <laughs> years later as new fans, as when me and Olivia are rich and successful <laughs> and having amazing lives. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> dreams are free. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, holiday time, crazy. One thing that frustrates me the most about holiday time is we were, you and I were talking about the other day, is just like traffic from the week before Thanksgiving until like after New Year's is horrible. And I don't really like, I understand why like everyone's out shopping more and all that. But like, it still just doesn't make sense to me because I also hear the news being like, everyone's online shopping and no one's going to stores. So what is everyone doing out on the road? I don't know if it's the same there, but I feel like a lot of people here mainly work from home. But now because it's kind of the end of the year here and like things do shut down over Christmas here, maybe everyone's like rushing to go into the office for one final time for the year. I don't know. And that, maybe that's part of the, because I agree, the traffic here has been horrendous. I'm like, what is going on? don't know why. It's crazy. My drive home from work, it's normally like 15 minutes and it's one there's no interstates it's like some back suburban roads one main ish road but still only like one lane each way and it gets gridlocked so bad and i don't get out of work at normal time i get out pretty early like 3 or 3 30 um and everything's just gridlocked and horrible and mike goes to work earlier because he works at night so he leaves kind of around the same time so he leaves here at 2 30 said everything's already backed up around 2 30 too just ridiculous like let's all stay home so i don't have to deal with this the good old days of 2020 i know because i worked through 2020 like i had to go into my job there was no one out it was crazy mm. not to say we miss it because it was pandemic and it was horrible for anyone like to there get were mad. some positives like you obviously had to find the positives because otherwise we all would have lost it but that was absolutely positive having no one around if you ever needed to go anywhere that was good good times yeah definitely <laughs> So, yeah, that has been a pain. But, yeah, I don't know. Anything going on with you? Anything interesting? Yeah, so holidays are in full 
swing here I guess we were just saying in Patreon that here the school year runs basically February to December so we nearly finished school for the year which is exciting nearly on big summer break um, and it has been so hot I went to the shops the other day because it's like tonight at my kids school they've got like a Christmas thing where Santa comes and they have Christmas carols and stuff so um, I went to the shops the other day to try and find like a Christmas t-shirt or something for them and I found these really cute Christmas we call them jumpers sweaters like you know the patterned kind of ugly sweater it's got bells on it and I was like oh wow when I looked at the price tag two dollars I'm like what is going on and I feel like they're on sale because it's like literally 110 degrees (laughs) (laughs) nobody's wearing wants to buy a Christmas jumper um yeah so it's just hot like this is some apparent massive heat wave and it is very hot I'm recording in the dark to try and stay cool because it's very very hot two dollars for a sweater is pretty crazy though like they have I to know. be losing money like and to be fair it is a Kmart sweater which Kmart is like big here I think in the past I've spoken about it too like Kmart is kind of the equivalent of your target because I know Kmart there isn't apparently very good so Kmart here is big anymore. there's massive Kmart Facebook groups and stuff like people love Kmart so the jumper itself probably would have only been 20 or 25 dollars but still two bucks I'm like how big that yeah definitely Mm. I was just also saying I know like people don't care and probably just are like (laughs) but I just wanted to say (laughs) I've been craving pizza so but I'm saying it because I need to know if anyone else is like this I've been really craving pizza for days but as I've said, I have social anxiety. I just have like random anxiety triggers, random things. Some things I'm fine with and some things I'm just like, it's like horrific. My body acts like I'm going to pass away. <laughs> so for me, one of them is going into places like pizza places or delis, places where like men usually work there or there's usually men there on their lunch break. And I get really intimidated feeling and I feel like a stupid like little girl. So like I literally cannot go into a pizza place and just order pizza. I could get pizza delivered or I could have someone else get me a pizza. But the thought of going into a pizza place, be like, hey, can um, I just have like one pepperoni slice? Oh, my God. I feel sick thinking about it. <laughs> I don't know why. Like nothing traumatic has happened to me ever in a pizza place or deli. But it just makes me afraid. <laughs> Intimidates you. Yeah, I feel very intimidated. Like I'm just like a dumb idiot girl trying to get pizza. And people are like, look at this girl trying to get pizza. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it, how the mind works? Like you That's never how you really... know it's mental illness. Like... <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't know what it is. Same with like getting my oil changed. I do it all the time, obviously, as someone with a car. But every time I have to do it, I feel sick. You have to go in there and... Assert yourself. I can't. <laughs> I'm just a little kid. <laughs> it's like all those memes, and it's like, why are you asking me? I'm just a 35 year old child. <laughs> yeah, like, like when you need an adult and you realize you are the adult. Mm, me too. I'm like, where are these children's parents? I'm like, God, I am the parent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if anyone else has like really dumb anxiety triggers like that, let me know so I feel less stupid about myself. <laughs> But you know what? We're all doing the best we can. So that's my random, random statement of the day. <laughs> um, I guess we'll we'll get into it after that. Or yeah, sounds good. All right. So today we're going to talk about the case of the Skeleton Brothers, which I know a lot of people have followed, and I've always known the name, like. I've heard of Skeleton Brothers before. I've seen their pictures. But it was a case I never really read too in depth about. 
And reading the notes for this, I was shocked, appalled. I couldn't believe I have never followed this case. Like, what was I living under a rock? I feel like maybe it kind of happened, like I know social media was still a thing then, but that this wasn't kind of peak social media true crime time. If this was happening now, I feel like it would be an enormous case. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like it kind of has flown a little bit under the radar just because of that. It's a little bit older, but the actual facts and details are just unbelievable. Yeah, it has so many twists and turns. Like, it almost doesn't seem real. This no, one, so. truth is stranger than fiction in this case, absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> so if you are like me and have not heard of this case before, buckle up because it's a wild ride. Police say three missing boys may be in extreme danger. A frantic search in the town of Morency. The search for three missing boys growing more desperate with every passing hour. We know their dad lied to police. The brothers are ages five, seven, and nine. They're from the town of Morency, Michigan. An all-out search near the Michigan-Ohio border. The FBI now getting involved. This community is beginning to fear the worst. Still no sign tonight of Andrew, Alexander, and Tanner Skelton. Friday, November 26, 2010, the day after Thanksgiving, the boy's mother, Tanya Skelton, tells Morency police officer Ryan Hillard her husband, John, was supposed to bring the boys back to her, but he never did. An Amber Alert would be issued. The FBI would come to town. Massive searches spanning down through Ohio would begin. And I wonder, are they scared? Are they crying for me? Tanya, the boy's mom, left heartbroken. So it's hard to imagine them hurting for me. The people of the small town felt Tanya's pain, and many to this day still think of the boys daily. Everybody thinks about it, but time does cover things up. It's just uh, it's heartbreaking to me. Andrew was nine, Alexander seven, and the youngest, Tanner, only five years old at the time. Over the years, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children created these age-progressed photos of what the boys might look like. Andrew Alexander and Tanner Skelton were aged 9, 7, and 5 when they vanished from Morency, Michigan in November 2010. So the 13th anniversary of their disappearance actually just passed this November. And as of today, the boys would have been 22, 20, and 18. Morency, Michigan has a population of just over 2,000 people. The Skelton family consisted of John Skelton, Tanya Skelton, uh, her maiden name is Zuvers, and three boys. And I just want to say her name, a lot of people I think would say Tanya, but we've both watched videos and they all say Tanya. So it's not just me. I feel like I always have to defend myself. <laughs> Getting before they, why did you say that? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no, I swear I looked it up. <laughs> Um, we believe that Tanya has two other older children from previous relationships, and we've seen that she has daughters named Courtney and Brittany. Are those the, those are the two Yeah, ones, so I, I there may be more, but I've only seen those two kind of named in the media. So she has at least two older daughters who are older than the three boys. Yeah. In the interview I was watching today, she talked about the five kids, so like mm. the three boys and them, I think. And we also believe that John has at least one older daughter from another relationship as well. It seems at the time, I don't believe that these all these children were living together. So they weren't the six children in the house. It, like m- maybe they kind of split the time between their, f- their other parents. Um, yeah. Kind of the core household at the time 
I guess the full-time household was Tanya, John and the three boys. So some background on Tanya. She was once a registered sex offender. She pled guilty to a misdemeanor, fourth degree criminal sexual conduct for having a sexual relationship with a 14-year-old neighbor boy in 1998. And she was 32 years old at the time. I was just watching an interview and she said that it was a mistake she made in her past and she's moved on. Long before I met John, I made a mistake in life and I paid that price and asked forgiveness and moved forward. John knew that before he met me. He knew about it before we ever started dating. And that is um, a selfish, low blow move to pull that out and say that that's what I was doing to my children because that is no way near what happened in my life several years ago. So we believe that John and Tanya met in the late 90s and they were married in 2002. John worked as a long haul truck driver and he found it hard to keep a job. He wasn't able to pay child support for his eldest child. And Tanya and John filed for bankruptcy in 2003. John basically got fired from job after job. And then when he got a DUI, he really could not get a job and basically spent all of his time online gaming. John approached Tanya about wanting to move to Florida to be closer to his family. He told her that he felt like there would be better job prospects in Florida. Tanya was against this move and told John that. As of mid-2010, it seems like Tanya and John's marriage was starting to fall apart. In September of that year, Tanya got a call from the Marinci Elementary School letting them know that John arrived at the school and had taken the boys. She was told that he said he was taking them to Florida and that he wasn't sure when they would return. He implied that they were primarily going on vacation, but did indicate that the boys may need the school to forward their records to a school in Florida. So Tanya, after hearing this, called the police, and the police managed to get in touch with John and convinced him to return the boys to Marinci. After this incident, Tanya filed for divorce, and when John found out about her plans, he was enraged. He again took off with two of the boys. The boys called Tanya the next day and said that they were back in Florida. Tanya managed to find out that they were in Jacksonville, and she packed up her car and drove to go get them. In response to her divorce filing, John asked the court to sever her parental rights based on her sex offender status, and the judge refused to do so. After the divorce, Tanya was granted full custody of the boys. Initially, she was hesitant to trust John with them, but things seemed to settle down, and after a few months, the boys were seeing their father regularly again. Tanya and John were amicable enough by November 2010 that she agreed to let them be at their father's for Thanksgiving. The plan was that he would have them from Wednesday and would drop them back off to Tanya on Friday. The boys were seen by a neighbor playing in the yard, playing in the yard of their father's home on Thursday, November 25th, 2010. And this is the last time that they were seen. So on Friday, November 26, 2010, when it got to late afternoon, Tanya became worried when John hadn't returned the children and he wasn't responding to any texts or calls from her. So she ended up driving to his home. When she arrived, the house was empty. We had plans to meet, and I would get the boys back at 3 o'clock. And about mid-morning, um, I thought, you know, if he's home, not doing anything, I'll see if I can get the boys early. That's Tanya Zuvers, the boy's mom. I called him, and he started with the stories 
While we went away, we're in Jackson. I'll see if we can make it home. His van was in the driveway. I said, your van's in the driveway, huh? Well, they came and picked us up because we didn't know where we were going. And at this point, I had no reason not to believe him. But each time I talked with him or texted with him, there was another twist. Something just wasn't setting right, and I'm going, ah. And then he finally said to me, well, I haven't been quite honest with you. I'm actually at home, and the boys are with my friend. That friend was someone he said he met on the internet. Her name, Joanne Taylor. So I asked him, well, when your friend brings the boys home, are they bringing them to your house or my house? Well, I'm not sure. I said, well, how can I get a hold of her? Because if she's coming from Jackson, I can meet her somewhere. And then John dropped a bomb. He told her he was calling from the hospital. Skelton claimed he tried to hang himself. Tanya's worry turned to dread. I, yeah, I was starting to get a little panicky. I had gone to the house that the boys and I were living in because it was only a few blocks from his in case this woman showed up at my house. Joanne Taylor never showed up. She discovered that John was in the hospital with a broken ankle. A friend had taken him to the ER earlier on Friday, and he told the doctors that he attempted to hang himself from a second floor banister that day. He changed his mind in the process and tried to climb back over the railing and ended up slipping and falling onto the concrete floor below and injuring his ankle. There was no sign of the boys anywhere. Tanya called police and they rushed to John's house to search. The house was found to be in complete chaos. It looked like John had destroyed everything in the house. And Tanya described the scene saying, if it could be broken, it was broken. If it could be cut, it'd been cut. So I can only imagine what this house looked like. I wish there was pictures. Have you ever seen pictures or anything? I tried to look no, quickly. No, I haven't seen anything. I'd love to see what the house looked like. Chief Weeks got right down to business. First step, an Amber Alert. They searched John's house. When they went into the house, there was broken dishes, things just thrown about, furniture broken, mattresses cut with a knife, dressers busted. I mean, there was just destruction everywhere. But frighteningly, there was no sign of the boys, and no one had any idea where they could be. A massive search effort was about to spin up with just one thing in mind, find the Skelton brothers. An Amber Alert was then issued for the boys. John was then placed under a psychiatric hold and police began looking into his movements and his cell phone records. Police said John's blue Dodge Caravan was on the Ohio Turnpike along the Michigan-Ohio border between 4 and 7 a.m. on November 26th and asked anyone who saw his car to come forward. John's stories to police kept changing. At first, he told them that he had left the boys with friends and that they would be back soon. Then was that he'd given them to a mystery woman because he didn't want to be he didn't want them to be in the house when he killed himself. He then said that what he'd actually done was handed the children off to an underground organization for safekeeping. It's like red flag number one. If you're changing your story this much, you're hiding something. Yeah. In my opinion. John repeated stories of the organization being an Amish one. When interviewed, members of the Amish community said that even if the boys were with them, they wouldn't hide them from the police or their mother. So while the Amish don't use cars or electricity, they do keep themselves aware of current events going on through the newspaper. And the boys, their pictures and stories were all over the news. So the Amish would have been aware of this as well. 
John told police that the group that took the kids said they would, quote, hibernate until they graduate. As of now, all of the boys would be over 18 and they have not come out of hibernation. So one story where John gave alleged specifics was about giving the boys to a couple named Joanne and Mark Taylor. He said he met Joanne and her husband, Mark, a few years ago when he helped them with a vehicle, and that he and Joanne started an online relationship through email. He told investigators that on Friday, John contacted Joanne and asked her to pick up the boys and to take them to Tanya's house. To Tanya's house. Joanne had arrived in a silver van, and she'd taken Andrew, Alexander, and Tanner. John said he hadn't heard from her since that morning. Police, of course, could not substantiate any of these claims. They did release some information about John's cell phone records. So around 4.30 a.m. on the morning of November 26th, so the day after Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving's when they were seen in the yard, the phones started tracking from Morency going southwest into Ohio. Around 5.01 to 5.04 a.m. was last time it pinged before being turned off around 20 miles away from Morency and Holiday City, Ohio. It turned back on at 6.45 back at his house in Morency. So basically there's an hour and a half, an hour, 45 minutes mm. where he's just unaccounted for at like five in the morning. So suspicious. Yeah. The cell phone hits. And specifically, how do we know John Skelton was in Holiday City that morning? Well, we don't know exactly where he was. We just know that the, uh, the phone pings or the phone tower hits put us on an area that was very consistent with the low distance between Holiday City and Morency. And knowing what we know from some of the things that um, Skelton has said, along with um, talking with family members, this was kind of an important spot uh, to them. Um, I don't know if they had some family outings here, some different things that happened in Holiday City around this area. So it was just very consistent with the information that the evidence led to, along with some family confirmations that this was a good area. And he knew this area like the back Absolutely. of his hand. right. The, this, tur the turnpike is right here, the 8090 turnpike. And this area was thoroughly searched. Absolutely. Yes, we searched. We had some information that uh, put us in this area, mainly the cell phone pings, but some other things as well. And we had search teams down here for multiple days um, searching um, buildings, hotels, um, dumpsters, uh, pole barns, everything that was in the air that could be searched, we searched. Because it sounds like initially the investigators who were on the case thought, okay, this is where the boys Correct. are. Correct. This was, again, with all the information that we had leading up days after it happened, we really thought this was the place where we would find the boys. And it is a very, I mean, you described it, it's very rural. It's very, I mean, there are a lot of back roads. There is a lot of farmland. Right. And in order for us to search, I mean, we search everything that we can, even with a search party of 100 people. You can search an area or an open field like that very thoroughly. Um, however, uh, there's just hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of acres. And so it really is a needle in a haystack. And uh, we searched the best we could um, with the evidence and relating to the evidence that we had but there's just no telling. And then at 5 a.m. approximately, what happened? At approximately 5 a.m., we received no further tower hits. So basically that means that the cell phone company um, did not have any more data to provide to us indicating where that phone would be. So the phone either was turned off, which I believe probably happened, uh, or the phone could have died, battery could have died, and then we did not get any further um, data from the phone tower hits until I think it was like 6.34 in the morning and that phone was back at his house. Tanya said, you can get on and off the Ohio Turnpike from there. It's a lot of wooded area and that became an area of interest. 
Tanya spoke about the large-scale search for the boys. She said, I've lived in Marenzi my whole life, and the boys were well-known. The school offered up some buses, loaded them up with volunteers, and took them out to search the sites. Um, the boys' aunt, Tanil McCain, said the days ran together after that. It was a lot of craziness, a lot of wondering what the next step was. How do you prepare for something like that? I saw in some of the videos I was watching today the area where his phone was pinging and where they were doing the searches. Not only is it wooded, there's like massive crop fields, like huge crop fields for miles. And even the detective that was in the video, he was saying like, you could search this really, really thoroughly, but with the fields being so dense, like you could still miss something. Even when we talked about Madeline Kingsbury as well, like she was found in an area, Mm -hmm. she might've been moved, but yeah, like it happens all the time that things are missed, even with a very thorough search. Yeah. In um, the Halloween episode we did for Patreon, one of the girls that was missing, I was looking at clips for it and she went missing in an area's wall with a lot of cornfields. And the reporter in the, the video actually proved the point of like he took literally two steps back into the corn and you couldn't see him at all. <laughs> like totally vanished. I don't know if these were cornfields, but still they're all dense fields. Yeah. So police also searched John's computer and found that he had searched for rat poison and for information about breaking someone's neck with your hands. DIV reporter Sandra Lee would later ask John about the searches. She said, he said the boys asked him about a specific scene in a movie where someone slips and breaks their neck. And he said that he searched that on the computer about this neck breaking scene. And he said they had a great time. It was a beautiful memory. (laughs) I don't know if I would describe searching for neck breaking with your young sons on the internet as a beautiful memory, but... Yeah, even though I think that's probably a lie, but still. (laughs) So on the computer, police were unable to find any evidence of any communications between John and the Joanne Taylor person that we mentioned before. John made a post from his Facebook account on Wednesday, November 24th that said, I love my wife very much. May God and Tanya forgive me. Also, I was like, that's... The day before Thanksgiving that he made this post. And all the time, no one... Maybe they just assumed, like, he was talking about marital problems or something. Like, maybe he made a lot of dumb posts. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, now we know it's a red flag, but at the time, maybe it was just part of his unhinged behavior. Back then, it was just John being John. Mm -hmm. We had a really cool message this week, too, that one of our listeners actually purchased four skylight frames to give out this holiday season. We really love hearing about your purchases, so let us know. So as a special limited time offer for our listeners, get $15 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash society. To get $15 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com slash society. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash society. So after John was released from the hospital on November 30th, 2010, he was arrested and jailed and put under suicide watch. He was eventually extradited to Michigan and charged with three counts of felony parental kidnapping, three counts of kidnapping, and three counts of false imprisonment. He appeared in court at a hearing on December 16, 2010, and during this appearance, he told the court that he'd given the boys to a stranger in a van from an organization. He did name an organization at one point as United Foster Outreach and Underground Sanctuaries. Police have said they don't believe any groups these names exist, though. The judge ruled that John would be held in custody indefinitely for being in contempt of court. And a month later, at his contempt of court hearing, John once again refused to say where the boys were or who they were with. 
So in February 2011, police announced that the investigation was no longer a missing persons case, but that it was a homicide investigation. Even though they did say it was a homicide investigation, there wasn't enough to charge John with murder at that time, and he was charged with kidnapping and unlawful imprisonment. One thing, just to add in here, one thing that I thought was interesting um, in one of the videos I watched today, one of the homicide detectives or one of the detectives working on the case said they one of the reasons they did this was because people kept thinking they were spotting the boys like in a rest area at a gas station. They're getting in all these tips when they had reason to believe that the boys were most likely deceased. So they're like, we needed people to start looking like in ditches, like in their yards, in sheds to look for their remains versus being like, oh, I saw like these three young boys at um, at a rest area. So I thought that was interesting. Hmm. So as part of a statement read in court at the time, it was revealed that John had given away some of the boys' belongings. He had given their winter coats and toothbrushes to an aunt before Thanksgiving, saying they didn't need them anymore and that, quote, he didn't want Tanya to have those memories. So John took a plea deal with prosecutors and pleaded no contest to three counts of false imprisonment. The kidnapping charges were dropped and he could have faced life in prison if he was convicted of the original charges. He pled guilty in September 2011 and he was sentenced to 10 to 15 years in prison. So in 2011, Tanya checked herself into a psychiatric hospital. She said that she hit rock bottom at that point. In 2017, I know we're kind of jumping, but there wasn't really a whole lot going on in the case, I guess, just, you know, investigating tips and searches and things like that. But in 2017, the remains of three children were found in a shed in Montana. I actually remember this happening and I remember thinking this surely has to be the boys. What other three children are missing? Um, I thought this was the end of the case, but it wasn't. John said at the time that the remains were not the boys and he didn't lie about this, which is amazing. (laughs) He turned out to be right. This is info about the remains from CBS. It says facial bone fragments and teeth of three children found in a Montana shed last fall are more than 99 years old. They ruled out any connection to any recent missing persons, missing children's case. Forensic scientists believe the youngest child to be Native American. Tests done at the University of North Texas determined the remains were those of an American Indian child between two and five and two others aged between five and nine. So definitely not the skeleton boys. Um, there's a really interesting article from 2018 with the reporter that we mentioned earlier, Sandra Ali. She sent a letter to John and months later he replied. I believe she's also part of a podcast um, about the Skelton Brothers, which I listened to years ago. I think it's called Unshakable, if I remember rightly, but I'll have a look and post it. I think that up. was it. They mentioned it today, something yeah. like that. I actually saved it again because I wanted to re-listen, but I haven't had a chance yet. Or was but it I did like listen Shattered? To the whole thing. Oh, hold on, let me just, I'll just find it quickly while I, so I can give you guys the right info. Shattered, shattered, okay. shattered Black Friday. That's what it's called. I was close. <laughs> um, so this is part of the letter that John sent back to Sandra. I'll read out parts of it. It's very long and I'll link the whole article in the blog. But he writes, Dear Sandra, I am doing okay. My vision is rapidly going. As far as how I am being treated, I was put into segregation for four years. I never did anything wrong and it was never explained to me why I needed to be in seg. While every other prison I was in, I was in general population. Just recently, September 30, 2017, they let me out of segregation. He then goes on to talk like he kind of indicates that he's lonely, which wouldn't be surprising in jail. He says, I'm sure you don't want to be a real friend to me, but I wish we could. I don't get much mail now. That's why it took me so long to write to you. I was suffering from depression. 
As for people wanting to hear about my need to keep my boys safe, I think Tanya has the victim card and society is against me, not her. I'm the one in prison, not her. She got off the sex offender registry. Tanya has absolutely no concept of nuclear family. She destroyed ours by her selfishness. That is the biggest sore spot with me. We can talk about more. We can talk more about that later if you want. He signed his letter without wax. Um, basically it translates to sin Sarah, which over time has changed to sincere or sincerely. It has an interesting backstory. Sculptors would fill in any mistakes with wax, but a perfect sculpture, one without any nicks or imperfections, would then be without wax. So this kind of indicates that he's signing off his letters, indicating that he's been authentic, not covering anything up. You know, it's I didn't perfect... take him for such an intellectual. Yeah. <laughs> So John also sent the reporter a recipe and he seemed to be encouraging her to visit him in prison. He said, you are not on my visitor list. I will put you on it. Have you filled out the application? I have not wrote you because I am still processing all the negative stories about me on the news a few weeks ago. I'm not ready for an interview. Those news stories really jeopardize my safety and quite a few people no longer speak to me. He then goes on to say, I'm glad you like the recipe I sent. I hope you try it. I have my cinnamon roll recipe I'm going to send you. They are very versatile, not to mention yummy. Then <laughs> um, he goes, if you send an email to the warden asking to see me, you may be able to without being on my visitor list because you're a reporter. I will write again. I hope we can be friends. Um, so we did learn also in the article about some kind of misconduct by John in prison. On May 13th in 2013, he was charged with class two misconduct. So when they did a shakedown of his cell, they found a stinger. A stinger is basically taking two wires from something that can be plugged into an outlet and stripping it. So, and they use the live wires to heat water. This is obviously dangerous and illegal. John, they found a stinger in a toilet paper roll in his cell. John was ordered to pay $2.69 in restitution and his privileges were taken away for three days. On August 18th, 2016, John was charged with throwing his food tray at a guard. The short version of this story is that an officer bought John the food. When John received it, he placed a tray he had from the meal before in the slot so the officer couldn't shut the slot with the new tray. John then threw one of the trays at the guard, narrowly missing his leg. The guard said that prior to this kind of food-throwing incident, John was screaming and yelling. John did admit to throwing the tray but said his throw was in the opposite direction and that his reason for doing so was because the officer was very forceful in grabbing the tray. He got 10 days of detention. (laughs) He got 10 days of detention for this offence. So Sandra, the reporter, did end up going to the prison to speak with John. She spoke about her experience and she said, I walked right over to him. I shook his hand and he started sobbing. He just broke down and started sobbing and I was completely caught off guard by that. I sat down. The chair that was available was right next to him. So he sat side by side the entire time and he said, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cry like this, but I haven't shaken anyone's hand in years and I haven't had any contact, no contact visitors in many, many years. So the meeting was at lunchtime and Sandra offered to get John something from the vending machine. He said, can you look and see if they have Doritos? And he goes, I'd also really appreciate a hamburger. So the inmates aren't allowed to get out of the chairs. So Sandra went, she got Doritos and she microwaved John two cheeseburgers. She said, he kept saying, I haven't seen or touched a Dorito and I can't remember when. So he was very excited about the Doritos. I would be Um, John also spoke a lot about the boys to Sandra. She said he went into great detail. He talked about the last meal he cooked for them. He said he made their favorite meal, which was fried chicken. They all sat around the kitchen table and all ate fried chicken and they made a cake, a homemade cake, and they sat there and ate the cake. And basically he said that that cake 
was left in the house when detectives came through on the Friday. John also talked to Sandra about handing the boys off to people from a group called the Underground Sanctuary. The people had been to the house three or four times before apparently and John told the boys they were going to live on a farm with another family for a short period of time. Sandra asked him, did you just stand there and watch this van pull away with your three boys? And he said, yes. Sandra said, John specifically said underground sanctuary. She asked him several times, John, who is this group? And he finally said, Sandra, I already told you. I told you the names before. It's the underground sanctuary. And I said, well, where, where is this sanctuary? Where are they from? And he said, today they have ties to Pennsylvania, but I know they took Tanner, Alexander and Andrew to, the, to a farm on the Ohio-Indiana border. Sandra asked John, how do you know that they're safe after all these years? She said, you're saying you did this to protect them. How do you know when you gave them away to basically strangers? And he said, I have to have blind faith. When I first went through this, I was like, what does he think he's protecting them from? But I guess he thinks he's protecting them from Tanya because he was accusing her of sexually abusing them as well, I guess. Yeah, that's what he's indicated, basically, that Tanya isn't like obviously no one's insinuating that Tanya did anything to the children, but that she's not totally innocent in the situation. No, he's insinuating that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That has all been investigated. I was investigated. I was interrogated as well. My house was searched, my computer was searched, all of my stuff was gone through as well. There were interviews with school teachers, school administrators, church people, friends, all kinds of people. Um, School administrators and teachers who are trained to see abuse in children. Who said to the police? I have never seen more children more loved and cared for by their mother. Those children were not abused. There is no way. And anyone who truly knows me knows that My children come first, always have, always will. The next interview features comments from John Skelton's sister and parents. He says they're safe and sound, a very specific message John Skelton asked his parents to share during the first visit they had with their son, where he's housed here at the Lucas County Jail. The visit lasted a half an hour. Via video, his parents, Roxanne and William, convinced their three grandsons, Andrew, Alexander, and Tanner, missing since Thanksgiving, are alive and well. They say their son wouldn't tell them where they are, only that he didn't want them to be with their mother, Tanya. Seems far-fetched, this story. Right. It does. <laughs> it does. I'm not going to deny it. Yeah. The people that are, are going to question all this and say, well, there's no way that there's a group that can do this and uh, that's impossible that like these kids haven't found the internet or a phone or something like that. What do you say to those kinds of... Well, I've, I've thought about that. I question that too. Why hasn't them boys... Con- Did anybody ever think maybe they're happy where they're at? The Marines Police, there's no way you can hide children. Well, I pulled up 186 cases of underground children that have been hidden. A few years back, I was feeling, 
down here in Jacksonville, I was filling up on my, my other truck with fuel. And I was had my back there, and a uh, gentleman come up behind me, and he asked me not to turn around, and said, I know of your plight, and your sons are okay. Really? And I says, thank you. And that was it? That was it. You didn't turn around? So John was first eligible for parole in 2020. Tanya wrote a letter to the parole board stating why his request should be denied. She said in an interview, I said, where are Alexander, Andrew and Tanner's rights to be in a loving home with their mum, to enjoy time with their sisters, nieces and nephews and all the extended family who love them so much. She said the right to be in school and enjoy all the milestones they have missed. They should be home, living in a comfortable, loving life, not hidden away where only one person, John Skelton, knows where they are. So his parole request was denied at that time. He was eligible to apply for parole again in 2021, but he didn't. In August 2023, so recently, the Michigan Parole Board voted to permanently deny John's parole. Tanya gave this statement to the media. She said, I am pleased by the decision to deny parole for the remainder of John Skelton's sentence. Even though it is only going to be about two years until they release him, at least I know we don't have to go through the stresses of him being granted an early release due to the parole. So Tanya has spoken to the media about the situation. She said, I wonder, are they scared? Are they crying for me? It's so hard to imagine them hurting for me and not being able to do anything about it. A few years ago, Tanya gave an interview. She said, I will never quit looking. I will continue to fight on their behalf for justice. I hope that at the 20-year mark, I'm not having to give interviews to mark that date that will have answers before then. I could not fathom sitting here 10 years ago still looking for answers. So now we're at 13 years. So it's creeping closer and closer towards the 20-year mark. So John has stated that the children are still alive. He said they will never be returned as long as their mother has custody of them. His relatives don't believe that he would have harmed them and John has always maintained that he never hurt the children. I did read some earlier articles that say that Tanya also believed that John didn't hurt the children, but there is an August 2023 article from WTOL.com where she says she believes the boys are dead. I feel like this is kind of a moot point for his argument now because they are over 18, so essentially the custody wouldn't be an issue anymore. Yeah. Um, so a lot of these stories about, you know, the hibernate till they graduate and the um, Tanya it's having custody out. are no longer valid arguments in the case. So the police have said that the case is still open and being actively worked on. Lieutenant Detective Jeremy Brewer said, as a police officer, you know, you're, you're realistic. You have to be realistic some because... You have to be realistic because you've had cases that some are solved and some are not. On a case like this, with the magnitude, with the resources we have directed towards it, I firmly believe without a doubt that we will get some type of closure on it one day. John's prison term does expire on November 29th, 2025, so he is not long at all away from being released. I guess if they find the boy's remains, they could obviously look at different charges, but at this point Mm. with how it stands, he will be released in about just over, just under two years. Mm-hmm. So in terms of theories in the case, I really think there's only kind of two possible scenarios. So I guess there are, you know, maybe three. But so the first one is that John really did give the kids to someone, either to this Mark and Joanne or to an organisation. Um, the second one is that John did hurt the kids in some way and they are deceased. And I guess the third could be a real out there one, you know, whereas it was some random thing, but he has never... Like he knew where the kids were last. He's never ever even brought that up as an option that they were kind of abducted by a random person or something like that. Yeah. Um, 
I I asked on our Instagram what people thought and a lot of people said that maybe his opinion of hurting the kids is different to everyone else's for like as a possible scenario maybe he left the kids somewhere with no means to look after themselves and they died because of exposure or hunger or dehydration so essentially by him saying that he wouldn't have lied he didn't actually physically hurt the kids but he left them to die I my personal theory is that he absolutely murdered those children in that on that morning and they just dumped their remains and for some reason no one has ever come across them. I think another thing I just like wrote down as we're talking, I agree, I think he a hundred percent murdered them on either Thanksgiving night or the morning of Black Friday. I think it was probably Thanksgiving night. Um because he mentioned to that reporter how before they disappeared like they made their favorite foods and mm. they had cake like i wonder if that was because he knew what he was gonna do kind of and their last he, supper and yeah yeah like in a sick way like was giving them all this all the things they like and i think that he was going to commit suicide because he, he killed knew. them yeah and we've talked about in other episodes of um like the familicide episodes that we've done how the reasons people most likely do that. I think this is a hundred percent to get back at revenge at Tanya in like yeah. a last bid for control because said how when she filed for divorce he was like outraged and then he's trying to get custody taken away from her and the judge was like no. So I think this is all just a big fuck you to Tanya and that he's just telling himself to, it's to protect them, but really it was just he wanted the control back. And I don't really even know why we're giving any credence to the fact that he said he didn't hurt them when clearly he's a liar. He's lied about everything. Mm-hmm. Like why wouldn't he lie about that? And, yeah, in his mind maybe he thought that he was saving them and, you know, saving them and from I don't, Tanya He's or definitely not mentally sound. No, no. So, yeah, I I don't think there's ever an organization that – is all made up in my opinion. When we did ask on Instagram, I would say 99% of answers were John absolutely killed them or left them to die and knows basically what happened to them. One person did say maybe they're in Canada. I feel like I just, if they were alive, surely they, you know, it's even a bit like Alicia Navarro. They could come forward and say, we don't want anything to do with Tanya. And they're old enough now to make that decision. But Mm. I just feel like there's been no contact, no sightings, it's like I would, you know, sometimes I'm a bit hesitant, but I would say 99% those boys have passed away, I would believe. And even if they were taken and like brainwashed to some extent, like those stories that you hear of kids kidnapped as babies and they didn't Stockholm know they were missing or they just like never even knew that they were like an abducted kid. I feel like they were all old enough, even though they were still very young, yeah. to at least know like something weird happened where if they heard this story they would have come forward like the oldest boy is not was nine my daughter is yeah. 10 she would absolutely remember like it's yeah I know the five-year-old might be have a few more like the memories might be a little bit hazier but I agree the older the, the older two were old enough to remember um at least some of it yeah so I don't think it's like something like that I think he just killed them oh and another thing I was thinking of while I was going through the story for the first time when I've it was pretty clear that he most likely killed them and I was like wow I wonder if they searched the house for like any biological evidence any like blood anything like that they said the house was like a massive mess apparently but then 
also his searches of how to break a neck, if he strangled them, I don't think that would have left behind much evidence. Like, obviously, there's going to be evidence of the kids in the house because they were in the house. Like, we know they were in the house. But if he didn't, if he strangled them to death, like, that's not going to leave behind blood or anything like that. And they were little enough that he could have just done that. Like, there weren't, like, teenagers that could fight him. And if the rat poison kind of Google search had anything to do, like, Mm -hmm. I have no doubt that would be a horrible, painful death. But how much kind of evidence would it leave behind? You know, he could have, like, there's a whole bunch of ways he could have, like, both those methods, either breaking their necks or even the rat poison, uh, wouldn't be kind of as forensically messy as gunshots and things like that. They would Mm -hmm. be much easier to cover up and have less, especially if he's trashed the house. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like imagine trying to find any evidence in a trashed house. It would be so much harder. Yeah. Ugh, I just had like a sad thought of like what if he put rat poisoning in their like last favorite yeah. foods that he was then talking about with the reporter. I just like I know that Tanya is no angel and she's done the wrong thing. But just as a mother, I just can't even imagine having to deal with this for it's been over a decade now, not knowing where your three children are. Not having, I know it's it's called ambiguous loss when a person is missing, when you probably know that they are deceased, um, but you have no closure. There's always that tiny bit of hope that maybe they are alive. So it's kind of a different kind of grief and loss than knowing yeah. that they are dead and having their remains to bury. Yeah, just it has so to be awful. hard, especially yeah. knowing that most likely this one person knows what happens. It would fill me with rage every single time John was like, I gave him to an organization. Like, no, you didn't. We all know you didn't. Yeah. And he's just, he has held on to that story. It's wild. Like you, I guess, I don't know. Will he ever tell the truth? I highly doubt it. Um, no, I don't Especially think so. while the remains aren't found because he will be able to get away with it, it seems. He's gotten he away seems with to, it for 13 years, so why not keep it going? And he seems to enjoy acting like a martyr. Like, I gave them away to save them. So, like, expecting people to be like, oh. Wow, like that was so selfless of you. He's definitely playing the victim. Like I'm so lonely and crying when the reporter shook his hand and stuff like that. Like, Can I just have one Dorito? (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, just a very, very sad case. I actually have been looking, like for some reason, these kind of cases have been popping up a lot on my feed and on, you know, my history and stuff like that so um another case we might actually do this kind of as a series eventually you know do an episode every now and then about children who were pretty clearly taken by their parents and the parents have always denied it um Mm -hmm. one case that we've i followed for a long time is timothy pitson his mother picked him up at school that was also kind of a custody thing i believe and she took him to like an amusement park um and then they were last seen in cctv at a hotel and then the mother took a life in the hotel so timothy he's been missing since two, since 2011 kaylee anthony yeah was technically one too yeah so she and gave her like a children. babysitter yeah yeah the hoggle children are another multiple children in one family who are still missing the mother is in jail or in a psychiatric facility she will never or hasn't said where they are so there's a, definitely been smaller ones too that like i just can't remember the names i know there's been times that we've talked about of them be like oh they gave them to this random person to watch they gave them to this babysitter just like random occurrences yeah so that's really it for this story hopefully we'll hear some updates soon fingers crossed that would be amazing to get some updates in this case most um, years there kind of seems to be like an anniversary article where they just kind of rehash there have been some age progressions of the boys 
mm-hmm. I don't know, they look pretty generic. I don't know if they would help anyone to actually identify them if they did see those boys if they're alive, but I guess at least it shows that the case is still, you know, Being on the people's on. minds. Yeah. I've been wanting to find more cases like this, kind of like unsolved cases from the 2000s, kind of like we just did Missy Beavers and this one. So if you have any other good, interesting ones or even solved ones, if they were a big deal, send them our way because I think they're they're like current, but some are old enough that people like just kind of forget about them. So I'm interested in finding more of those. If you have any ideas, shoot them over to us on instagram or facebook message instagram us. is the most reliable yeah instagram is most reliable say it. no because facebook is just horrific with all of that so yeah send us an instagram message if you have any ideas would love to do more ones like these um that's it so everything will be on the blog as it always is truecrimesocietyblog.com follow us on instagram at true crime society and we have our personal accounts mine is steph sum underscore olivia's is tcs olivia and if you want to hear this episode and all the episodes well all the episodes when we started patreon without ads um go check us out on patreon we also do weekly bonus episodes which is cool and we have some chats on there where we could chat and we send pictures of our pets and whatever we feel like talking about so check us out on patreon and also if you join patreon like now you'll have access to all of the bonus episodes we've done like a backlog of them so it's not just going forward so that is cool as well we do have a week off coming up over Christmas time, so maybe that's a good time to join Patreon and catch up on the episodes while you have a spare week. <laughs> yeah, because you'll miss us so much, I'm sure. <laughs> like, you'll be spending your holiday break being like, oh, I just miss Stephanie and Olivia so much. <laughs> <laughs> do you know, I do that, though, with the podcast that I – and because so for me, I. that's my, like, holiday time, and I'm like, far out, just give me a new episode. I have time now. <laughs> I know. I actually feel the same way. Like, when they skip weeks for holidays, like the big podcast I listen to, I feel kind of sad because I'm, like, doing the day dishes or something or some task and I'm like oh I wish I could listen to a podcast yeah everyone I know it's coming I kind of try and save up episodes so I'm, like, oh, I'm busy this week I'll just save that for and I can listen another time yeah <laughs> yeah so so join the patreon for that <laughs> and all the usual stuff leave us a nice review rating make sure you're subscribed on spotify or wherever you listen it's a big help to us and that is it I hope you guys are surviving this holiday season uh stay safe out there with all the craziness and thank you guys for listening peace out see ya